So we're in Philippians chapter 2, and what we saw is if, verse 1, you see how God is working in you, then, verses 2 through 4, here's what we're accountable for. This is how we have to live. We have to endeavor to keep unity. We have to lay down our lives loving and preferring one another ahead of ourselves. And so what we're seeing is this example of this cycle of how God makes an investment and what our response needs to be. We saw the example of Christ in verses five through eight. The mind of Christ was he takes upon himself the form of a servant. God becomes one of us. God the Son becomes the second Adam and takes the sins of the world to the cross of Calvary. He does it by comparing Scripture with Scripture. We know that he did it with joy. He, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death. Hebrews says it was for the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross, that he despised the shame, that he was willing to become our lies, our lusts, the way we've perpetrated, the things that we've done. Christ was reckoned that on the cross of Calvary and the righteous wrath of God over our sin was poured out on Jesus 2,000 years ago. And for all of us who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as our sin bearer, we believe that Christ's work at Calvary 2,000 years ago was sufficient to deal with our sin and we come to the place where we submit our lives to him, the Bible says we're born again just by believing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's now the work that God has done in our lives, right? We see that again and Paul he gives his example in verses 17 through 18, and he's rejoicing in his personal sacrifice. And people will say, well, that's the Apostle Paul. He's an anomaly, and, and uh, you know, of course Paul could rejoice laying down his life, loving God's people, winning souls, and making disciples. Of course Paul could do that, but the reality is, is you know, anyone can do that. And here's timid Timothy. Paul throws him in our face, and he gives the example of a faithful minister in the person of Timothy, uh, in verses 19 through 28, or through 22, uh, he sends Timothy so that Timothy can report to Paul, right back, he can report back to Paul in jail how the church at Philippi is doing. And, and we find out that Timothy is like minded with Paul, verse 20. He has a natural care for the church, verse 20. Everybody else, verse 21, is seeking their own and not the things which are Jesus Christ. And then we see the proof of Timothy as a minister that. He takes up the family business with the Apostle Paul, right? As a son with a father, he served with Paul in the gospel. And so Timothy has the formula for joy. He's got the formula for successful Christian living down. God first, others second. Tim says, I'm last. Uh, when I was a little kid growing up in Bible club, we sang a song called Joy, Jesus, Others, and You. Did anybody else sing that song growing up? Uh, did they have that in Bible club in California, Cheryl? Joy, Jesus, others, and you. Okay, so Jesus, others, and you. So joy is the acronym that just tells you how to keep the priorities of your life straight. And, and if you keep it like that, Jesus first, others, right, others next, and I'm last, that's the path to joy. Maybe the worship team can hunt down Jesus, others, and you. And, huh? There's probably hand motions. I bet it goes something like this that, and then, I don't know. So, uh, I bet there were hand motions. Timothy was like-minded with Paul in the ministry and that he was full of care. He cared. 
Got too many people today that just don't care. They go through the motions. They call themselves a Christian, but they just exist day to day. Where's the compassion, right? The love of Christ that constrains us as believers. Timothy was like-minded. He was discipled. He was uh, he, he had a spiritual father investing in his life, and of course that set him on the right traje- trajectory in life. Do you have somebody in your life that's holding you accountable to keep your priorities straight, to make sure that you're full of care? Timothy wasn't just committed to the Lord. He was consecrated. He was laying his life down. His life was not his. It was Christ, and so he gave it in his service. So here's the key. This is what we want to get in our review. Uh, you get your life nothing more. And then you gotta decide what you're gonna do with it. If your focus is on what you can get for your life in this life, in other words, you can work only for your 401k today and then miss out on the ultimate retirement package. We got too many people that are living for a moment in time and forgetting about the opportunity to make an investment for eternity. See, we're to seek more than what we can get for a moment for ourselves in this life. We're to seek the things that are above, Colossians 3, Verse 1 says, if then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Get your eyes off your life in this world and get them on things above. What things? Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, notice that, it's present tense, for ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I don't have, as a Christian, a life in this world. My life is hid in Christ in God. So why would I not look toward the thing of life that God has given me? Why wouldn't I look toward the person and the things of life that God has given me? We've got too many Christians that are too focused on a life in this world. See, Christ is coming, verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. See, that's the thing about the Christian life. You either take God at his word or you don't. You either believe the Bible or you don't. And that is the only way. Believing the word of God is the only way you're going to let go of your rights and your future in this world and reach out and work for the next life, for the next world, for the kingdom of Christ for eternity. That's the only way you'll do it. It's like you're on Let's Make a Deal. How many know about Let's Make a Deal? You guys know about that, that, that show. Okay, Lex, it's had different hosts over the years, uh, but Bar- Bar- Bob Barker was the man. It was Bob Barker, right? That's The Price is Right. Ah, man. Who was the original Let's Make a Deal guy? Monty Hall. Monty Hall. Yeah, Let's Make a Deal, Monty Hall. Uh, man, Monty Hall and Bar- Bar- Bob Barker, that's, they're not even close to the same. We uh, must be getting old. I'm conflating. The price is right was Bob Barker. Okay, let's make a deal. You know how it works, right? Right now, you've got door number one. You've got it. You, you want it. It's yours. Everything that's in that bay now belongs to you, but you have the opportunity to trade up or down, right? You know what you have right now, and in terms of the flesh right now, you know what you got, and it might be worth a lot, but can you trade it all for what's behind door number three? Are you willing to do that? To do so, you have to give up everything that's in door number numero uno. Do you see how that works? You gotta give up everything that you know you have in order to go for something that could be behind door number three. The thing about serving Christ is is you know what's behind door number three. And no, you haven't seen it with your eyes, but you can see it with the eye of faith because God told you what's behind door number three. 
Does that make sense? Or is that a stupid illustration? Should I take that out for the next service? I'll get my game show host right in the next service. Monty Hall, Bob Barker. How many think I'm still gonna mess it up in the next service? (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Okay, see, to give up your plans, your life, your dreams in this world, I mean, you gotta give them all up if you're gonna go for door number three, and for too many Christians, it's too hard. And that's what eliminates most American Christians. Why? Because we're rich in this life. We're increased with goods in this life. We don't need anything. We don't even, I mean, if we'd admit it to ourselves, we don't even think we need the Lord. Revelation 3, 16 through 17. It makes God sick. See, the problem is we're focused on ourselves. We're like Daffy Duck. We are self-centered, self-focused, self-glorifying. It's all about us. Okay, so... Do you notice how he's, 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 he's with Bugs, I mean, he's with his friend until he decides he's only for himself, right? Uh, did anybody else grow up watching Looney Tunes? None of the kids? You've seen some Looney Tunes, you know what I'm talking about? I mean, that's some life lessons right there. Yeah, that's good. I mean, he... He is just hanging with his friend until he sees an opportunity to serve himself. And that's where most Christians are. Yeah, I'll serve the Lord unless it gets in the way of me getting mine right now. Mine, 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 me, 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 mine, mine. Okay, Daffy. See, every time I turn around, God will reveal to me my Laodicean life, mentality, and ways. And I'm no longer satisfied Right, I'm no longer satisfied with what I can do and what I can give myself. So God shows me there's more, I want more. So what do we do? Well, we need to roll like Epaphroditus. That's what we need to do. We're gonna pick it up here in verse 25. We gotta learn sacrifice, we gotta learn mission. It's called the consecrated life. And so here's another example of a consecrated, this is just somebody else that sees and is following the mind of Christ. Epaphroditus, we'll see, is a faithful minister. Verse 25, Paul says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants. So who is this guy that's always investing in others? Okay, who is this man, Epaphroditus? Well, notice Paul said it was necessary to send another guy who is just like him. You know, Timothy was just like Paul. He was like-minded, verse 20. Well, here is Epaphroditus, and Paul calls him my brother. In other words, this means that Epaphroditus was born again. The Bible says that as many as received the Lord Jesus Christ, John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he, God, the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. So if you're a son of God, If you're a daughter of God, and I'm a son of God, what does that make us? You see, so Carlos, he believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That makes us what? Brothers. You say, well, you guys don't look the same. Uh, Man, it doesn't matter who our family is on this earth, who our family is in the flesh. We're brothers. We're family. 
I'm a son, he's a son, we're a family. So hello, Epaphroditus, you know what the name means, right? It means devoted to Aphrodite. It's a word that means lovely. Devoted to Aphrodite, devoted to beauty. In other words, the dude was Greek. Epaphroditus was Greek. Paul is a Jew, and from a Jewish perspective, Epaphroditus would be a dog in the flesh. I mean, he's nobody. He's, he, he, he is an, he's like an animal to the Jewish mindset. Yet looky here, what happens when Epaphroditus believes on Jesus? Now Paul's calling him brother. We are family. The next service will be awake. All my brothers, it's just at me. Okay, so who do you call brother? Who do you call sister in this life? People meet each other on the street. They say, hey, bro, that's not your brother. Somebody you meet on the street. Nor is it always the person that has the same skin color as you. No, you you identify family by who they call father. That's how you do it. See, we've got more in common in this room with the believers in this place than many of us do with our extended flesh and blood family. Now, we either believe that or we don't. We're either Bible, we're either biblicists or we're not. We're either more family in Christ than we are with our physical family or the Bible's not true. See, what that means is here in Christ we're united. Here is where we find family. Why? Because here is where we're at home. Here's where we worship the Father together. This is the place, right here, is the place that you can let your gut hang out. And you can share your hurts, you can share your fears. And you're accepted because it's your brothers and sisters. You know how when you roll into the mall, into the shopping center, you gotta put on 10 degrees of badness. You know, before it's like you're, 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 you're rolling around. <laughs> but when you get out in public, what are you doing? You're hiding. Right? You're pretending. This is the place where we can just be ourselves because we're family. Here is the place where you get encouraged by your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the place where you get built up in your faith. It's wonderful to have a family in Christ. Not one amen. (laughs) Some of you are like, well, you know. Right now I'm working on something with brother or sister so and so. And yes, they're worth it. Praise the Lord. What else was Epaphroditus? Look at verse 25. He was obedient to the call of God. This is why Paul says it's necessary to send him. Here's a guy who will do Bible by you. Here's another companion of Paul in the labor of the church. And because he's a brother, he's in the family business with Paul and with his heavenly father. And did you know that we have a labor right here, right now? We have a work together with our father. You and I, are supposed to be serving together in a family-owned business. We're the owners and operators with the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's one of the company pictures. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, Now he that planteth and he that watereth, this is, this is the sowing of the seed of the gospel, the seed of the word of God into the hearts of men. One plants, one waters, they're one. And every one, right, every man shall receive according or shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, we're God's garden, ye are God's building. See, church for a Christian shouldn't be a hobby or an activity. It's your only mission on this planet. Do you get that? 
This is why you're breathing air and you're wrapped in skin. This is why you're living and moving and having your being in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ because God wants to make you part of the mission. You have a role, a part to play in helping us win souls, make disciples, train and equip leaders, and see ministry multiply around the world. We're not in church just to have the answers. We're not in church just to be right. We're not in church just so that we have something to do on Sunday morning. We are together in this place because God has given us a mission with him to transform souls for the kingdom, for the glory of his kingdom. And you and I are invited to be a part of that. Church matters. That's why reaching souls and making disciples to follow Christ is the only true measure of spiritual success in this world. So get this down. This is why laboring with your family in the mission that you have from your father for your father is the only true source of true companionship that you'll ever find. Did you get that? That is the only true source of true companionship that you'll ever find. It's because you're wired. If you're a Christian, this is how God is wiring you. This is how he is designing you. This is why it's so frustrating and hollow and empty for Christians that waste their time in front of screens. Screens, you know. I mean, I saw all eight seasons. And I, got, I, I know the whole story. Whatever that show is. I, I won the video game. It is amazing to see people who call themselves Christians and they've got time to binge watch or to get to level 923, but they're too busy to make disciples. And then there's this empty hollowness in their life and there's nobody in your life that you're a part of encouraging to move forward in their faith, to learn the word of God for themselves and to invest it in the lives of people. You say, well, I'm not really wired to be a teacher. Well, then jump in and help one of the teachers Right? Be an anchor for a new believer. Help us win souls, make disciples, and train, and equip them for the work. So you've got people looking for satisfaction, for pretend companionship outside of God's mission. And you've got people trying to be friends on social media, and they wonder why they feel so, so disconnected. You've got people pretending they're in relationship or mission through video games. And now you've got a mission for your life. At the judgment seat, is it pointed the wrong way? Did I do it backwards? Is that the L? You always use your right hand. <laughs> you go, okay. Or are you, or you set me up for failure in the next service? Yeah, that's an L. Okay, cool. <laughs> At the judgment seat, what did you accomplish? Well, you know, gears of war. Is it gears of war, gods of war? Seth, which is it? Come on, nerd, tell me. It's God's of war? Huh? There's both? Oh, <laughs> okay. Of course, there's both. Not Epaphroditus. His life was about building up God's church. He had a mission for eternity that mattered. Now, a lot of people don't think that's important. For them, church is a place for themselves. It's a place that they attend. It ought to be a place where I can laugh and enjoy people. It's how I round out my social calendar. It's not a place that they're responsible for. Heck, that's the pastor's job. The work of the ministry, that's the pastor's job. So get this down. There are two types of Christians. Number one, there are those that willingly labor together with a pastor in ministry. And then number two, those who are willing to let them. 
There are two types of Christians, those who will do the work and others who will watch. See, church to them is just another one of life's conveniences or amenities. I'll find a nice wife there. I'll have people to hang out with because they have to love me in the church. In other words, what's the mentality? It's a Daffy Duck mentality. Me, 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 mine, mine, mine. It's all for me. Okay, Daffy, not Epaphroditus. His focus was on building other people up. He could lay his life down so that others could be blessed. Look at verse 26. For he longed after you and was full of heaviness because you'd heard that he'd been sick. So he was upset that the whole church was grieving over his sickness. He didn't want their heart to be hurt worrying about him. I mean, come on. Isn't that amazing? When do you meet? How often have you met a Christian that is upset that you are upset over the fact that they were hurt? That's amazing. For indeed, he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Why was he sick? Look down at verse 30. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life. This guy overdid it because the mission was that important, and he about lost his life in the process. Verse 28, I sent him therefore the more carefully that when you see him again you may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. What you couldn't do He made sure it got taken care of and it almost cost him everything. See, Epaphroditus was a soldier in the service of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like the model of Christ in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 8, where Christ gave his life in the work, Epaphroditus is willing to lay down his life. The work's that important. You see that in 2 Timothy 2, verses 2 through 4. The work of the ministry, verse two, requires that we endure hardness. In verse two, you see the ministry of discipleship outlined. What you're hearing in this church, you are to invest into faithful men, to invest in faithful men and women that will turn around and not keep truth, but they will invest truth in the hearts and lives of people. And so what that's gonna require, let's pick it up in verse three, is that we endure hardness as a good soldier of Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. See, a a soldier is called by the commander-in-chief to lay down his life in battle. And that's really hard for us because we love our lives. We look at things like the Columbine shootings. Uh, This is now several decades ago. And we wonder if somebody asks us with a gun pointed at our head to deny Christ. Deny Christ or I'll shoot you. What would we do? Would we confess Christ down the muzzle of a rifle? And I think for anyone that's hard to say until it actually happens to you, God forbid. But let me tell you what I think. I think most Christians would stand up to that kind of testing. Whenever the gun, whenever the rifle muzzle is pointed to your temple, Do you believe in Christ or do you deny Christ? And you know they want you to say you don't believe in Christ, you deny him. I think most Christians uh, would stand up to that. 
when the decision is that stark to live or die for Christ is literally crammed in your face like that, what else can you do? What else can you do? I think most Christians would say, I love the Lord Jesus Christ. I think they would confess him as Lord. I think most Christians, whenever it's put to them like that in that moment, they're willing to take a bullet for the Lord. And Satan knows it. He knows it. That's why he makes sure that kind of thing is limited in America. He wants, uh, he wants the Laodicean, right, self-loving Christians. He doesn't want them to wake up and realize that they're missing the call of God for their life. And so what does he do? Well, he lulls you to sleep. He makes sure you're comfortable. He wants to make sure that everything, you know everything revolves around you, your convenience, your comfort, to place you in life where you're no longer engaged in a battle for souls and he has worked that plan so well because today we have committed Christians but rarely do we find consecrated Christians that's your next two blanks many Christians are committed they're committed to the things of God but they're not they're not not at the level that it's their life why because taking a bullet for Jesus is so much easier than actually living obeying right living for Jesus obeying Jesus it's the dying daily to self in service to Christ that's so hard for believers. Because it's, it, I mean, it hurts, right? You have to face disappointment. It, it hurts. It's hard. It's not really what I wanted for myself today. I wanted, I wanted comfort. I wanted luxury. I wanted, you know, I wanted my wife to feed me grapes and fan me with her hand. That's what I wanted Can I just be committed to setting in a church on Sunday most weeks instead of sacrificing, laboring to be a part of winning souls and making disciples? See, I'm committed to giving when, I'll give some when it's convenient for me. I mean, money's tight right now, so I can't really tithe. I mean, a dime out of every dollar, what? I'm supposed to support the ministries of MBT? I'm supposed to support missions over and above my tithe? Are you crazy? I don't know what you're thinking, preacher man, but this is my money. Okay, Daffy, you keep your money. If it's your money, you keep it. If you're not a steward, then live for yourself. Dying daily, no thank you. I'll be satisfied just having a personal and personally defined commitment to Christ. I don't, don't try to define my commitment to Christ by the Bible. Why do we think this way? Well, it's because consecration costs you. It's, it's being a living sacrifice. It's laying down your life, and that really hurts. And Satan knows that the position that most Christians can live with their whole life is, I'll attend church, but to lay down what I want in order to help build it up, please, that's the pastor's job. I'll read my Bible and pray, but preacher, you better be okay with that because I'm keeping my butt in front of a video screen on my time. And we forget that God's calling us to be a part of something that matters, something more. This is why, again, Romans 12, we looked at it last week. So nice, we gotta quote it twice. Romans 12, one, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I don't know about you, but I don't want to waste my life playing church like little children play house. I don't want to just be a part of attending services on Sunday. I want to be a part of a people in a tribe that says our God is worth it. He is worth everything. 
and for me to take my life and invest it in knowing his word for myself and helping other people to do the same. That's glory. That's wonder. That's reward at the judgment seat of Christ. See, the chicken would much rather lay the egg because laying the eggs means she's committed to Farmer Brown. Right? She'd rather lay eggs than perform reasonable service to Farmer Brown. She'd rather lay an egg than be, according to Philippians 4.18, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. It's just like the cow. The cow would much rather provide milk. That's commitment. But making sure the master of the house has steak, well, now that's, that's consecration. That's a whole other level. And you may, you may be saying to yourself, but you got me all wrong, preacher man. I would gladly serve and sacrifice for this church. I love this church. It's just nobody asked me to help. Well, hello. What am I doing right now? Oh, pa- pastor, just put me in charge of something. Then watch out. I'll show you something. I'll show you a thing or 50. No, don't wait for somebody to tap you on the shoulder and say, lead the way. Find a place to serve. Right? Don't. Don't wait for somebody to call you out and put you in charge of everything and tell you the fate of the world is in your hands. No, look around. There's a place to serve. There is a work to do. Be faithful. Help us move forward in ministry. You say, well, I'm not trained. Well, then repent and jump in the path to growth. What's the next? We alternate the new members class and COD. I think next on deck, we saw that this morning, it was the new members class. Uh, Get on the path. Get on the on-ramp and help us labor. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. Know how to rightly divide your Bible, 2 Timothy 2.15. Let me give you some homework, okay? Get on the path to growth. Go to the lobby and see where you're at on that path to growth. You're supposed, God gave you a Bible because you're supposed to know it. That is not the pastor's job. I mean, it is the pastor's job to know the Bible. It's his job to know the Bible to make sure that you know the Bible. It's your job to know the word of God. And then see where you're at on that path to growth and then take a next step. What are you you doing to be accountable in your growth, in your knowledge of the word of God, right? Get discipled. Get the discipleship how-to training if you've been discipled. Start D2. Get into LFBI this fall. Learn your Bible at a deeper level. Just get off your tail and get into the battle. Get involved in the mission. Don't wait for a personal invitation from me. God wrote you an entire book to outline your your responsibility to him. And then here's part of it. Look at Epaphroditus again. He was a messenger. And you and I, we have the same responsibility. Epaphroditus was a messenger to Paul to encourage him. This is why why we can't, I mean, we've been assembling online for a long time. Why? Because, you know, what started out with flattening the curve so that the hospitals don't get overwhelmed, then they turned that into slowing the spread or stopping the spread. Well, it's out of Pandora's box. You're not going to stop the, sp- the spread. You can, you can slow the spread. We can, we can string this on for as long as we want. Uh, but at some point, you know, we got to figure out, and this is why I would recommend you either go to our Facebook page or our YouTube page and listen to Dr. Best's recommendations about how you can personally evaluate the, the, the risks, your personal risk, and manage personal risk. Uh, but at some point, to be fully engaged in the mission that God's given us together, we have to come together 
And yes, we can come together online, and there's a lot that we can do in Hebrews 10 online. Let us consider one another to provoke one another to love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. Right? We're to love and encourage one another to be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. For as much as we know, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, eight, uh, 58. There's a lot of that that we can do online, uh, but we can't, we can't do everything together online. We can't greet one another with a holy kiss online. We can't... Um, so in our culture, it's a holy hug. That's, we're, we're huggers. We're a holy handshake. I, I guess I got replaced with the elbow bump, the handshake. Um, a holy elbow bump. Uh, we are designed to be together, and the more together we can be, uh, the, more that that's gonna, the more that that's going to facilitate and enable the work that God has given us. And so make the plan right? Pray through what is the plan to get back in the assembly, get back in the house of the Lord together with God's people, shoulder to shoulder, well, for the next month or two, looks like, socially distanced, but what's the plan to come back? See, we have a responsibility as God's people in this place to carry the gospel to the world, and so let me ask you a question. Are you with us in that? Who did you talk to about Jesus this week? Who did you encourage in the Lord? In other words, what was your mouth used for this week? Epaphroditus was a messenger. What are you? What was your mouth used for this week? You say, well, that's where I put my rice and beans. Okay, well, what can you do to give your mouth more work than that, right? Upgrade its service in your life. How can you change that? I wonder, could you trust God to share Christ with someone this week? Or are you too Laodicean? He's a messenger that ministered to my wants. He, Epaphroditus understood that Paul needed help. The entire church at Philippi couldn't go, so he's a living sacrifice to the Lord. He jumps at the opportunity to serve, and so it's more than an inconvenience for him. Uh, it's a privilege for him. That's why Paul has a special love for Epaphroditus and demanded the respect of the church for him. Receive him. Therefore, in the Lord with all gladness, verse 29, and hold such in reputation. Because, of, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. How many of our number here at MBT have almost died in our service to the Lord? How many of us have almost died serving the Lord? A lot of people almost kill themselves at their job. They'll live on four hours of sleep a night to get through school. They'll half kill themselves to get through college. Not Epaphroditus. He had the mind of Christ. He thought like Paul. So his life, his comfort, his safety, all of that was expendable to the mission. You know, we send teams all over the world, and it's inevitable that on one of these teams, someone will die serving the Lord. You get that, right? Uh, it is inevitable at some point it's at some time, if the Lord tarries in the future of this church, someone will come home in a box. What will our response be? Well, this is too dangerous. We've got to shut it all down. Man, if we're Bible believers, uh, that'll just fuel the mission. 
if we're Bible believers, if we're consecrated, uh, that will be sorrow for us, but that will be expected by us. Does that make sense? Oh, well, it just got real. Yeah, it just got real. And real Christians move forward in faith. Acts 20, 24, Paul says, none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy in the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus Christ to testify the gospel of the grace of God. Who are you ministering to? Whose life are you making a difference in because, God, because you got a handle on the word of God and you're handing it to someone else? How are you helping us with that work? Can you point to anything? Are you at least helping us keep the church clean? I mean, is there something you can point to that says, I'm, a, I'm helping MBT win souls, make disciples, and train and equip leaders and multiply ministry around the world? I'm a part of this. How can you see that in your own life? Well, I'm just glad Jesus bled and died for me so I don't have to go to hell, but now that that's taken care of, I'll, I'll go to church, I'll attend services, I'll read my Bible and pray every day. By Paul's definition of biblical Christianity, it's not enough. Ministers, every member, we're called to be ministers. And we're to engage with the word of God into the lives of people. And so here's your homework. Who are you edifying? So I already gave you one homework assignment. Where are you at on the path to growth? Who are you helping on the path to growth? You know, we've got, and let me just make this a practical thing that's something anybody can do. And uh, while I'm giving the homework, Eric, could you get ready to lead us in praise and worship as we close? So a lot of people have been sent out of MBT. We've got a lot of people across town at Living Faith in Lee Summit. We've got a lot of people in Tampa, Florida. Uh, Living Faith, Tampa, Florida. We, we've sent a lot there to the Living Faith Fellowship there. We've got now a growing team in Boston, uh, right now, it's, it's Mike and his family and Brooke. Soon behind them will be the Merritts and the Toadies. Uh, we'll have a, a good-sized team. There are, there are already, Mike uh, uh, reported to the pastors this week, that they led two people to Christ this week in Boston. Would you be praying for that? So we, the first fruits are coming in. Uh, so help us, God, by his grace. There's going to be a church plant in Boston. And brothers and sisters, you did that. Uh, that's a, a ministry is now being reproduced in another part of the world. We've got ministers multiplying, disciples multiplying in Vietnam. Uh, pray, for, pray for Kenya and Japan, for our sisters who are there, who know the word of God better than most pastors. I mean, good night, these ladies know the book. And uh, to start Bible studies, to win souls. Let's trust the Lord for fruit around the world. You know, you've got a, a group of disciple makers in Denver, Colorado that uh, is a guy we go way back with, reconnected with us, started coming to focus every year and, and took the ministry game plan and, and uh, they're trying to figure out is their, their little country church, their little church in Denver gonna get, get on mission or, or is God calling them to plant a church? But there's 20 some disciples um, thumping King James Bibles, a bunch of college kids. You know, they don't know any better. There's a bunch of college kids in Colorado that are excited about discipleship. Did you know that? I mean, like the ministry is multiplying. So you've got these connections through this MBT as ascending church.
they, can't, they can't hang out with us every Sunday and be encouraged. And so who would be like Timothy and Epaphroditus and reach out to them? Who would send a note to Pastor Dan or Pastor Mark or to the Schaefer ladies, right? Who would, who would send a note uh, to the Renaults uh, in Boston and let them know that they're being prayed for? Uh, who is lifting them up before the Lord? So we got several that have gone out as missionaries. Uh, there's disciples in Vietnam. There are disciples multiplying now in Boston and places like that. Uh, find out where MBT has fruit. And would you just reach out to them and encourage them? See, notice Epaphroditus' burden. It's not about him. It's about the church being built up. He's like Paul. He's self-sacrificing. Uh, you know, the, the day and age that we live in, you don't actually have to go to them to, to, to build them up. You can send an email, you can send a letter, you can video chat and encourage them. Let them know you're praying for them. Now some of you, God could use you so mightily if you just die already. I mean, don't commit suicide, die to self, okay? If you would just quit with what you want out of life, and just love God and love God's people. And then help people grow, invest. You'd have joy for the first time in your life. And so, for some of you, the call this morning is to grow up and put away childish, foolish, self-serving, daffy duck living. It's time to be done with that, because it's not about you. It's not about you and yours. The mind, mind, mind mentality, there's no joy in that. And so for some of you, uh, the invitation is to take a first step and say, for me to live is Christ. Amen? Let's bow our heads. I'd like us to close our eyes. I'm gonna pray for you, and we're gonna just close with worship and prayer. Uh, just a season of worship and prayer. And while we're worshiping, if God's dealing with your heart, if you know you need help, maybe you got a question or you need prayer, there's a next step that you need to take. Uh, come forward. One of our leaders will pray and counsel with you. All right? Father,